You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Do you know what today is? It's our anniversary. All right. A little Tony, Tony, Tony. I couldn't help myself. Amen. Well, peace be with you all. If that was awkward for you, that was awkward for me. But nonetheless, it's our anniversary. Amen. And we have the joy of celebrating 20 years of the Lord's faithfulness. 20 years of the Lord keeping us and honoring the prayers and desires of a, of a few really young adults who wanted to see the Lord move in their city and to reach uh, the community in which they were doing life. And God has. And it's to him uh, that we give praise and glory. By God's grace, as you've seen in the video, we've been able to grow to six churches. Uh, we've been able to start a, a network of about 90 churches in the U.S. And Uh, We've got some sent ones that's here uh, today that uh, are serving overseas. The Lord has allowed us to be faithful in our neighborhoods and in so many different areas of of the city and his church. And uh, we just are are thankful to Jesus for that because it's really only by his grace. If you've been here any amount of time, um, you know that the Lord is drawing a a straight line with crooked sticks. Amen. And uh, I just want to give him praise for that and want to ask you just to join in and do that with me. Uh, uh, Father, I, I look at what you have I've done here at Sojourn and each of our churches um, and our newest churches, Sojourn North and how well things are going there, Sojourn Carlisle and some of the churches that we've been able to plan out in Birmingham and Oakland recently and, and Pittsburgh, all these different places and all these different things. Um, it truly is a result of your Holy Spirit and, and grace. It's truly a result of the labor of, of uh, men and women uh, year after year, serving in ways seen and unseen, welcoming people, counseling people, inviting people into their homes, thinking through how to arrange songs, making sure microphones are on, cleaning toilets, making the phone call to the person who is sick, visiting in hospitals. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be a part of your global body and for blessing us to be a, just a faithful, ordinary body that is joining all the other churches here in Louisville and trying to make much of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray if your son tarries that you would allow us to experience another 20 years as a peculiar people who are living our lives out in ordinary yet extraordinary ways by pointing people to Jesus. Lord, I pray that the best is yet to come. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength and redeemer. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Well, we are concluding a series today called The Gospel, Race, and Justice. And for those of you who are uh, joining us today, we want to say welcome. My name is Jamal Williams, and I am one of the lead. I am the lead pastor here and one of the pastors here. And we have been uh, just preaching on this subject because, um, as all of you know, uh, our city is in the middle of, of, of controversy. 
with the um, unnecessary and tragic killing of Breonna Taylor, along with just racial upheaval all over the country. Um, we believe as Christians that God has something to say about whatever we're going through and that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so we have been uh, taking the subject of justice and race and, 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 and rescuing it from uh, the extremes that we often see in the world and from secular uh, philosophies uh, that uh, tell us that this is what needs to happen, but ultimately don't have hope. And we've been framing it in a biblical framework um, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is sermon number seven, and I'm here today to just kind of land a plane and hopefully to point us to Jesus. But I really want to encourage you, if you're a member of Sojourn Midtown, to always remember that with revelation should come application, and with application should come transformation. In the next couple of weeks, I suspect that this city is going to be hurting once again as um, our governor and, and those who have been leading an investigation makes um, an announcement. No matter which, what is announced, we should expect controversy because there are going to be people who are, are disappointed. We hope that justice will be rendered and that God will be praised and that it will be thorough and a good explanation will be given in which the people of Louisville, even if they disagree, will be able uh, to stand and say justice is done. But if not, I want us as a church to make sure that we are salt and light and that we handle the announcement um, in a way that separates us from people who are hopeless and who are searching and who have empty philosophies and, 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 uh, and who may have respectable and good desires, but their belief system and their worldview won't bring hope. And so today we're going to do that by looking at Revelations chapter five. And again, I want to encourage you to not just be a, a hearer of the word, but be a doer. I've been so encouraged, so encouraged these uh, last six weeks by conversations that I've had with people in our city, in our church, and honestly around the country. We have multiple churches that have been following us and that have been emailing our sermons and our community group stuff uh, to their staff and, and, and their churches as they're wrestling through this, but didn't feel that they were able to address it uh, yet. And we've heard great testimonies. I also know that there's some people who are frustrated, some people who want uh, who feel like we went too far or said things that, um, uh, that they don't agree with. And then some people who feel like we haven't went far enough. And, and honestly, we expected that, and that's, that's, that's where we want to be. There are always going to be people who want more or who want less, but our job is to shepherd us and to help us and to challenge us every direction with the Word of God. And I believe that we've done that, and we want to continue to do that and grow. But in today's passage, we see an incredible uh, passage written by the Apostle John. He is exiled um, on the island of Padmos, has literally been uh, kicked out from ministering in Asia and Ephesus uh, for, for preaching Jesus. And Jesus comes with a word uh, for him and a revelation uh, for the church. And that's why the book is called the book of Revelation. And, 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 and he, in chapter four, gives us this beautiful picture of the throne room of God as an angel comes and says, come on up. Um, I have something to show you. 
And much of what we read is what's called apocalyptic uh, literature. It is, seems confusing. It seems uh, it, it's hard to wrap our minds around it. Uh, and, and it's a genre of writing. Uh, some of the things John is trying to explain in, in human language, which was uh, not fully revealed to him or, or ways that he could not uh, yet relate to. Uh, but this is the inspired word of God. And, and what I want us to see here is that the people that John was writing to were uh, marginalized as Christians. And some of the churches were about to go into great suffering. We read as uh, the uh, seven churches are giving words from the Lord. Um, and, and John um, has uh, received this word to write to the churches to encourage them that persecution is coming. And that while they are doing some things well, there is room for improvement. And if I had to sum up chapter two and chapter three, these letters to the churches, it would simply be John through the spirit, the spirit coming to John and saying, John, uh, tell the church to come back to their first love and to center themselves around Jesus. And the way in which uh, the Lord is going to lead John to do this is through this revelation. John sees this incredible picture of God the Father seated on the right hand side, uh, on the right, uh, on, the, on the throne with a scroll in his hand. And he is being worshipped by angelic uh, beings as well as elders. Now, we don't know who these elders is. Some people argue that these elders are uh, 24 elders, uh, represent uh, people who just represent the, the church. Some people believe that uh, 12 uh, represent Israel. Israel 12 uh, represent the uh, apostles. The Bible doesn't tell us who these elders are. We also are met with four living creatures, which points us back to what we see in the book of Ezekiel. And, and much of this imagery is Old Testament imagery that you can find also in the book of Daniel, uh, specifically in chapter seven. But it is this majestic picture. And in verse one, John sees this vision and in the right hand of God, there's this scroll that has seven seals on it with writings on the front and back. And he hears the voice of a mighty angel who proclaims with a loud voice, who is worthy to open up the scroll and break the seal. But in verse three, we read, no one in heaven or earth is worthy to open a seal. Now we see that this angel is described as a mighty angel and he yells with this loud voice that fills up the heavens and the earth, who is able to open up this seal? And you would think that the angel is able to open up the seal. After all, he's strong, he's powerful, he's mighty. But the issue here is not one of might, it's one of worthiness. The issue here is not one of intellect, it's one of worthiness. If it was one of might, maybe Samson would have spoken up. If it was one of intellect, maybe Paul would have said, I think I'm pretty smart. I can open up this, uh, the, the scroll with the seven seals. But, but it's not one of might and it's not one of intellect. It's one of worthiness and no one else is worthy to open it up. I love what it says. No one in heaven, no angel, no one who's passed on and went before, no one on earth, no one who is currently living, no one who is under the earth, no one. And look at John's response in verse four. I wept and I wept because no one is found worthy to open the scroll or to look in. And I know some of us during this season, this is how we feel, right? We look on television, there's just all this political division. There's all this racial unrest. Even right now, some of us, we've just kind of... Uh, 
bore with this series as it has just challenged us in many ways. And I praise God. I've been able to talk to many people who've been challenged, some who are still on a journey, who's, who's working it out, some who have repented from prejudiceness and, and ways that the Lord has revealed racism in their own heart. It has been beautiful, but it's been hard. Um, some have, have, have said that even in the midst of listening to sermons, all they could do is, is weep. And if you're weeping, if you are feeling tension in your heart, if you're tempted towards moments of hopelessness and you're a Christian, I want you to know that the Bible uh, does not uh, uh, condemn you for, God does not scorn you for. Here in this text is the Apostle John, and he is weeping. The Apostle John, the disciple with whom Jesus loved. The Apostle John, the one who wrote multiple books of the Bible, the Apostle John, the one who saw Jesus open deaf eyes and heal leper skin and open uh, deaf ears and open deaf uh, blind eyes and heal leprous skin. This one who was with Jesus, who saw him uh, resurrected from the dead and ascend into heaven, is, finds himself at a moment of hopelessness finds himself at a moment of hopelessness. Why? Because of what the scroll represents. The scroll represents history's past, present, and future. In chapter six through eight, as the scroll is open, we're going to see a picture of both judgment and future redemption. In essence, if the scroll is not open, there's no hope. If the scroll is not scroll is not open, Revelation chapter seven verse nine doesn't happen. A redeemed people from every nation, tribe, and tongue does not worship Jesus. If the scroll is not open, Revelation chapter twelve, that great dragon is not defeated. If the scroll is not open, Jesus doesn't come back on a, in a, on a riding on a victorious ho, uh, a victorious uh, horse and 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 make things right. Revelations chapter nineteen. If the scroll is not open, there is no wedding feast of the Lamb. There is no new heavens and new earth. John finds himself hopeless, and if you find yourself hopeless, I want to encourage you today to look to Jesus because he has taken control of history's past, present, and future globally. That's what this is about. That we have hope because Jesus is in control. He's in control because he was worthy to open the scroll. We see this in verse five. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And we see this Old Testament language. Jesus is from the tribe of David. He is uh, from the line of Judah. He is from the tribe of David. Isaiah chapter 11, verse one. And then I saw he sees this slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne, and he's being worshipped by four living creatures, which is explained more in chapter 4. And he sees this crazy vision of this slaughtered lamb that is standing, that's a paradox, who has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. And at this point, you should be asking yourself, John, what did you have for dinner last night? But all of this is... It's imagery that, that is, is giving in a symbolic way. Horns represented might and strength in that, country, in that, in that uh, time. Eyes and, and represent seeing, right? The spirits of God. And we see this number seven, 
Whenever we see the number seven in the Bible, it normally means completion or fullness. In other words, he saw a lamb that was all-powerful, complete, had full power, all-seeing, complete, had full sight, and was full of God's Spirit, which fills up the entire earth. And this lamb is Jesus. And now when we get to verse 8, we see this incredible picture of 24 elders falling down there, worshiping the lamb. And the Bible says they have harps in their hand. It's this kind of priestly role that we see in the Old Testament as priests are, are playing uh, harps uh, to the Lord. And they have golden bowls. But look at verse number eight. These golden bowls, they're filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. As you are hurting, as you are grieving, Remember that your prayers come before the nostrils of God as a sweet aroma. Have this picture of them, your prayers being precious to God. They are in golden bowls. They're, they're filling up heaven's throne room. When you come to him frustrated, when you come to him hurting, say, Lord, I don't understand what I'm saying on, seeing on tele television. I'm tired of racial injustice. I'm tired of the riots. I'm, I'm tired of police officers uh, fearing uh, for their lives as they're trying to protect our city. I'm tired of the political rhetoric. Wherever you find yourself, as you find yourself crying and weeping, knowing, I want you to know that God sees you and that your prayers are precious to him. But notice this. The saints, as they are praying, a new song is being sung. And the song tells us why Jesus is worthy. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they will reign on earth. Why is Jesus worthy of all praise? Why is he worthy of our adoration? Why is he worthy of the 24 elders falling down and worshiping him? He is worthy because of what he did and what did he do? He, though he knew no sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was slain. Behold, the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said, he was slain so that we could be purchased, so that we can be redeemed, so that we can be a part of God's kingdom, a new kingdom. These earthly kingdoms are going to fall. They're going to fall away, fall away. The average strong earthly empire lasts at most 400 years. God's kingdom, Daniel chapter 7, is eternal. It will go on forever and ever. America will not last the test of time. As much as I'm grateful to be in America, it will not last. China will not last the test of time. Africa will not last the test of time. Every earthly kingdom will one day come to its conclusion and God's kingdom will fill up this earth and this world. And those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who have uh, come to an end of themselves, who see that they are sinners separated from a holy, perfect, 
omnibenevolent, good God and who run to him for mercy and who find their righteousness and their justification in Jesus Christ alone, they become a part of this kingdom, not by works, but by grace through faith. And John sees these pictures of millions of people worshiping Jesus, realizing that he alone is worthy. He alone deserves to be in control of history's past, present, and future. No other person. Jesus trumps every earthly power. Verse 11, and I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures and the elders. Their numbers were countless Thousands and thousands, they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. This is a praise and worship service. This isn't the frozen chosen. This is people giving Jesus homage and praise as they are taken back by his beauty and saying, you deserve everything they realize how, how wonderful he is. Verse 13, I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne the and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped him. As we close out our series, what What do we do with this text and how do we land the plane? I want to encourage you in four quick ways. First, in the upcoming weeks, again, there will be controversy in the city. And I pray for justice and for wisdom and for a thorough uh, explanation on what happened. And I pray for the Taylor's family that they uh, receive that justice. And I pray for our systems and, and structures that need to be addressed here in this country. And I pray for peace within our police officers who serve this city. But no matter what the verdict is, we need to do a few things. One, we need to weep. We need to weep. It's good to weep. It's good to lament and it's good to weep. But we need to look up. Here in the text, we see John weeps, but he looks up. Weeping is good. Jesus weeped. He was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. He wept over the cities uh, surrounding Jerusalem as they turned their back on him. He, he wept as he saw the injustices of his day, but Jesus constantly looked up. The Psalter, the Psalms is full of weeping, is full of lament, is full of cries. Lord, how long? How long will the poor be taken advantage of? How long will the widow be taken advantage of? How long, O oh Lord, will those who do evil seem to get away with what is good? But one thing we see constantly in the Psalms is a turn and a looking up. I will look to the hills where comes my help. Christian, are you looking up? It's okay to weep, but are you looking up? Do you see that Jesus is in control of history's past, present, and future, and that God is not surprised by anything and that he is in the process of making all things right? Second, we weep, we look up, but we need to listen to our elders. John is 
finds himself in a place of despair. And what does the elder come? He says, look, look, look up. There is a, a lamb who is slaughtered, who is standing in the midst of the throne. And this series is your elders attempt to, to pastor you through a subject that has been woefully neglected. And we've said some hard things. Last week, I gave a history of, of Louisville. We talked about Walnut Street Church and from who 1942 into the early 1960s had 150 Black-owned businesses or businesses that, that, uh, that, that, sought, that were friendly to African-Americans during the time of Jim Crow. And how by 1968, there were only two uh, businesses uh, and on Walnut Street downtown, which is currently Muhammad Ali because of urban renewal, which came to be known as Negro removal, where African-Americans was removed from that part of the city and to other parts of the city that were often socially isolated and underdeveloped. We looked at history. We looked at it hard and we stared at it and we owned it. And we said, this is our history. This shouldn't bring us to, to guilt or to shame because we believe in the big gospel, but it should move us towards empathy and compassion and understanding and to seek justice, to love mercy while walking humbly with our Lord. And that's what we have attempted to do here. And so God has given us elders. God has given us people to help us look up. One of my elders and one of the people who helped me to look up is here today. His name is Pastor Stan. Pastor Stan, if you would stand for me. You guys have heard me talk about Pastor Stan a lot. You've heard me talk about my father a lot. You've heard me talk about elders in this church. We've got Pastor Brad, Pastor Nathan, Pastor Josh, Pastor Luke. I don't want to name them all. Pastor Robert. We've got all these elders who are around who, who help me to look up. Sometimes I get discouraged. And God has put godly men in my life who are constantly saying, pastor, keep going. Pastor, keep going. And not just godly men. He's put godly women. I wouldn't be here at Sojourn Midtown. I've been here for five years if it wasn't for my wife. I remember a point in our uh, uh, journey here at Sojourn where things got difficult when we first came and we started pressing into issues. And uh, I, was, I was ready to go. And my wife said, the Lord did not bring you here to leave after one year. Thankful for my mother and godly women. We, we need people who encourage us. Keep going. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I know it's rough. I, I know it seems hopeless. I, I know you're down. I, I, I know it, it, it seems bleak. I, I know your own your sin and proclivity seem to, to be getting to you. But keep your eyes on Jesus. And when we look at Jesus, we see how beautiful he is, how amazing he is, how gentle he is, how lovely he is, how lowly he is. When we start feeling sick, we remember that he is a doctor in, in the doctor's room. He is a lawyer in the courtroom. He is a bridge over troubled water. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is just and righteous and true, and he will one day bring justice. <laughs> Take our eyes off of what's around us and we look up, but sometimes we need help looking up. And sometimes our, our, our black brothers and sisters who are here at Sojourn, they need help looking up. They don't need trite responses and statistics when things hit on the media. They need an encouraging word. Look, look up. We're here with you, here to mourn, here to lament. 
And sometimes as white brothers and sisters, you, you need that encouragement as well as you want to do something and you want to press in, but you don't know and you're on your journey and we have to be able to come beside you and help you to look to Jesus as well. Third, embrace the as slain king and kingdom. As slain. As slain. Somebody was like, make sure you pronounce that right for the next service, Pastor. Now I'm nervous. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Jesus is slaughtered, but yet he's standing with all power in his hands. And that's a reflection of his kingdom and the, the kingdom that we belong to. Sometimes it looks slaughtered. Sometimes as Christians, you read news cycles. I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? What in the world is going on? And sometimes we do it to ourselves because we lose this picture of Jesus and we begin to think about our earthly kingdom when we begin to claw for, for power and, and presence. And rather than being poor in spirit and mourning and hungering and thirsting after righteousness and accepting the fact that we're called to be a persecuted people, we fight for, for this power and we clamor for control and we end up beat up. Or we seek to do things the right way and we do things the right way and we end up beat up. But I just want us to understand that God's weakness, our weakness is made perfected by him according to his grace. And so if you're saying this is hard, the work of multi-ethnic, multicultural ministry is hard. Being a part of a multi-ethnic, multicultural church is hard. I say, amen. It is hard. It is hard. I go from one conversation with someone who's encouraged to the next conversation from someone who's discouraged. I go from being called courageous to being called a Marxist. It comes with the territory. And you experience that too. And that's a part of being a part of God's kingdom. That's a part of being a Christian. You're not an anomaly. I'm not an anomaly. Anomaly. It's just, it's just a part of walking with Jesus. Jesus was the Lamb of God who was all-powerful and yet who was slain. And when we see him in glory, we're going to see him in his power. And yet we're going to see the wounds by which our sins afflicted him. Embrace it. Embrace it. And then finally, I want to encourage you to never forget how the story ends. Y'all, we've got the end of the book. We know how it ends. We know at the end that Christ is victorious and he's going to come back to make all things right. We know that whoever commits injustice and whoever appropriates the law in, in uh, unjust ways will be held accountable as they stand before God. And so we fight for justice. We speak up. We, we vote. We have critical and hard conversations, but we do not do it like the world. We do it while walking in the spirit and not in our own flesh. We do it seeking to build bridges and not to tear them down. We do it by remembering that we are a part of a kingdom that 
cannot be shaken and that will not fail. We do it by remembering that we have a Savior, Revelation chapter 19, 11, who is faithful and true, who with justice he judges and makes war, who has eyes like a fiery flame, who wears many crowns on his hand, who has a name written that no one knows except himself, who, were, who will come back wearing a robe dipped in blood. Now, whose blood is on that robe? Is it his blood? No, it's not his blood. He who's wearing a robe dipped in blood. It's this imagery of, of power. He's not coming back in weakness. He's coming back in power. And his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Jesus when he returns. He's going to return to make all things right, and he's going to come back looking like a bad man. I love this scene. The Bible says he's got many crowns on, just, just flaunting. Got a name that nobody knows. Eyes are red like fire, means he's able to, to see through all of the, the pretense and get straight to the heart says that he's a man, a man of justice. He comes to wage war. See, we like this, this, this lovely, uh, peaceful Jesus, which he is perfectly at all times. But yet the Bible says he also is, is, a, is a savior that has to come back in wrath because you don't get love and true love without wrath. If someone hurts my daughter or one of my kids, it is appropriate for me to be angry. In fact, I wouldn't be a just and a good dad if I didn't get angry towards someone hurting a child of mine. That anger and that wrath is not only justified, but it's it's a it's a godly anger. And the Bible says that one day Jesus is coming back and he is going to make all things right by judging those who rejected his kingdom, who oppressed others for their own gain. And it's not because he is vengeful or hateful. It's because he's just. And the Bible tells us until that day, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And as the people of God, we separate us ourselves from the world by being stern yet peaceful, being clear, saying what we're for and what we're not for, and we move forward with hope. That is how we live out our gospel identity. That is how we live as salt and light. And so as I close, I want you to remember this picture of Jesus returning. In the next chapter, this beautiful picture says that Jesus will, will reign and his personhood will light up the new heavens and new earth. He will shine forth brighter than the sun, just who he is. There will be no nighttime, Revelation chapter 21. And the kings of the earth will come to pay honor and homage to him. They will give gifts to him. It's a beautiful picture. People from different nations who have been redeemed, those who are now ruling because they've been faithful over little. God is going to make them ruler over much. They're going to bring all 
their ethnic spices, their ethnic music, their ethnic uh, dishes, and they're just going to come and worship Jesus and all things will be made right. Live in light of that day. Stop giving in to this nihilism. Stop living as a functional atheist. There's no such thing as a Christian atheist or a Christian agnostic. You have a God. You have a king. He took the scroll. He's in control. He's coming back. He's going to make all things right. And no one, no one who has set their kingdom against his will escape his judgment. And our prayer as Christians is Maranath, the Lord, come quickly. But our prayer as Christians is, Lord, would you save them? Would you have mercy upon them? Would you soften their heart and help them to see that this world has been created for a reason and it is coming to an ultimate telos and all things is pointed to this slaughtered yet standing lamb? Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Come on and give him some praise. Oh, you could do better than that. We've got hope. Come on and give him some praise. We are a hopeful people. Come on and give him some praise. We are a redeemed people. Come on and give him some praise. We've been blood washed. Come on and give him some praise. We've been justified. We've been sanctified. We have a, a purpose. Come on and give him some praise. We are a people who are peculiar. Glory be to your name, Jesus. We worship you. We praise you. We exalt you. We magnify you. There is none like you. Maranatha, Lord, come soon. In Jesus' name, amen.